Oh man, you know it's a good worship time when you're like eating your mask as you're singing. Do you get that? Like, <laughs> ah, so good. Um, it doesn't taste so good, but it is so good. Man, it's good to be here with you, um, to hear you guys singing, praise the Father, praise the Son, the Spirit, three in one. This is our, our calling as followers of Christ, is to just worship him in, in spirit and in truth. And we're doing that um, over this next uh, little bit of time here together in our series called The Upside Down Life. We're continuing there. We've been in the book of Matthew, so you can open your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 5, beginning the Sermon on the Mount, is called uh, the sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached because it was by Jesus. The first eight statements, therefore, are called the Beatitudes, the eight blessed statements that Jesus makes, which are values of life, how to live in the kingdom of Jesus. We're on statement number seven out of eight today, and maybe you're like me, where you've gone through the first six and you feel like you've just perfected everything in the Christian life thus far, and you have arrived, and so seven and eight are going to be great. Or maybe you're like other people, maybe more like me, where you're reading God's word, you're studying God's word, we're hearing things that we should be in the kingdom of Jesus, and it seems like the next week you just find yourself seeing more and more of how much you can't do it. I think that is the Christian life. That we read God's word, it illuminates the dark corners of our life and just points out ways that the spirit hasn't finished its work in us yet. There's this hope, there's this expectation that he is continuing his work in us. We invite that process. Actually in Romans chapter eight, I wanna read this, this verse to you here, eight, nine through 11. You, however... This is talking about followers of Christ, those who have the Spirit in them, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And this is the work. His spirit prompts us and we respond to his leading, to his word, um, all those different things. So for the sake of context in the book of Matthew, the first four chapters really set up to get us to chapter five. And so once we get there, we have a really great sermon. But the before is important, right? We have the genealogy of Jesus, kind of where his heritage comes from through the line of David. The birth of Christ is kind of an important one. John the Baptist preparing the way for his ministry. And then we have Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and to have this battle with Satan. And we find the Spirit using uh, his power in in Christ in an incredible way uh, of an account of his his work there. Then Jesus begins his ministry calling his disciples. We have uh, Simon Peter and Andrew, James and John are called to himself Then Jesus begins healing people. There's preaching in the synagogues all around the the Sea of Galilee and and even beyond. The Sea of Galilee is about 14 miles if you'd go all the way around it. And so he's kind of wandering around, teaching and preaching in these different places, casting out demons, you know, as they do. People continuing to follow him from surrounding areas. 
And all of a sudden, these crowds are gathering. People are like, well, I've been healed. I'm going to follow this man here. And I've heard that he can do this. I'm going to keep wandering along in this way. The fame is increasing. And then we get to chapter 5. It's almost like the lights dim. The conductor like taps the edge of the stand here. And he's ready for the main event. We read this in chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and when he sat down, which if you uh, were a rabbi following Jew at this point, you would know when the teacher, the rabbi sits down, it begins a, a formal teaching time, and so you were really keyed in. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and probably many other followers were there as well listening, and he opened his mouth which if you're just reading your Bible, probably sounds like a funky way to say Jesus said. But when he opened his mouth, if we read that in the Greek, I'm not going to butcher it, but it's stoma, And it literally means this is a person who says, I'm going to share the deepest parts of my heart. I'm going to share something so core to who I am that I'm going to open my mouth and deliver this to you. So formal teaching, most important part of who I am. And here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Lord, I thank you for this teaching that you gave to your followers many years ago, and and that we get to also sit under this teaching of you this morning. We thank you that you have given us values and principles and ways that the Spirit wants to work in us as your followers this kingdom that you are making, that you represent, that you started and began, we want to live in. So Lord, I pray you would open our hearts, open our minds, the spirits at work in this room this morning. Not only, Lord, just in our time of worshiping you, but the spirits at work in each heart, pulling them. And I pray, God, that we would respond to your leading. I pray these things in your name, amen. Well, in verse 9, which is where we're going to land this morning, there's not a lot there, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I asked four questions. I actually asked a bunch of questions, but I figured maybe you would ask a similar four that we could agree on this morning, because that's all we have time for. But four questions. I'm going to ask you to join me in these questions honestly. And what I mean by that is not like answering it before we answer the question. We, we want to honestly ask it and say, what does it really mean? And so the four questions are this. What is peace, which you may think you have an answer for? What is a peacemaker? Who are the sons of God? And then how do I make peace? It is important to come to the text without all of our lenses on, even though that's kind of how we're made. We just read into this. But to say, what did these people hear? What did the original listeners hear when Jesus spoke these things? 
We may have ideas about what peace looks like. Actually, um, maybe for you, it's a cup of coffee and a really good book. For others of you, it's actually putting your kids to bed at night. The aftermath is peace. Some of you, it's your Bible, a journal, and like a really good view, whether it's early in the morning or a sunset. For some crazy people, it's like after they go for a run or have a really good workout, their body just feels at peace, at rest. Seeing God's sovereignty over creation in this, uh, the, the ocean just kind of rolling in and sitting on the beach is your sense of peace. Also, culture has given us symbols and defined kind of what peace looks like for us. We have the dove and olive branch symbol. You've probably seen this. You just naturally think peace when you see this. And that really stems back to the book, the story of Noah. And when the flood came and 40 days and 40 nights of rain and storm, Noah sent out the dove and he came back with this olive branch, signifying that the floodwaters have gone down enough that the storm was over. They could leave the ark. There's also this one, which is a peace symbol, um, which you may know, but you may not know where it came from, maybe for a younger crowd. Um, it, this is where the, the peace symbol came from. It actually is from a system uh, of flag signaling, which is where it came from. Nuclear disarmament was what it stood for. And, and you actually, if you had the flags down, that was an N for nuclear. And if you had one down, one up, that was D for disarmament. And so there we got the peace symbol. Um, this is called the semaphore flag system. That's all I know about it. And the next one we have is the finger peace symbol, which we commonly see. We have seen that over the time through history as a V for victory, marking the end of war. And those used it for also the protest of war, this peace symbol. And so we come to the text with ideas of what peace is. We have symbols of peace, our own ideas of what gives us peace. But there are really two concepts in Scripture of peace, two main words that the text uses. And actually, if you were an early listener, all you would have known is the first one, shalom, the Old Testament word for peace. It's a common greeting that was given among people to wish somebody well, to seek the highest good of other people. This word shalom also means prosperity and security, wholeness in every sense of the word. It's a, it's a really beautiful word. And so when they used it as a common greeting, it meant that you really wanted the very best for the other person. Shalom, this peace was associated also with peace offerings. And so when people came to make their uh, sacrifice, when they sinned against God and they had to go in this system of, of bringing sacrifices to God, they would make the sin atonement sacrifice and then they would be able to make this peace offering, which came after everything was done and it was in celebration of this right standing that they had with God. The peace offering then was made to celebrate Interestingly, it was actually the only one of the sacrifices that was made that then you ate. It was kind of a feast, right? And so after everything was good and we're celebrating this right standing with God, we would get to eat and celebrate who God is to us. A feast. That's shalom. The, the New Testament word is irene, which is uh, not a word that they probably would have known. It was a Greek term. And so the concept of that really in the New Testament scriptures focuses on Jesus. Now, 
Uh, I want to say, again, if you were a reader here or if you were a listener to Jesus' topic about uh, peacemaking, you would have gotten the Old Testament, but the New Testament, Jesus' peace, has yet to come, right? We as readers now can look back and know, man, he was going to go to the cross. He was going to be our sacrifice. He would be our peace. But these people didn't know that at the time. Jesus comes as the very fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified, made right, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the gospel is first bad news before it's good news. The bad news is we are broken and we are separated from God. And we can't do anything to fix that. But Jesus came and was our sacrifice. The, the word peace also is used in Jesus as he's speaking peace, not over a, lots of different, a lot of different things, but specifically one of the ones that stands out to me is Jesus speaking peace over creation. Peace be still as the disciples are in the boat. Things are going crazy. He brings this calm, this silence and so what is peace? Not just a negative term where while there's uh, this absence of conflict or the end of a war, but really in the Old and New Testament, there's this sense of wholeness. All things are right. The enjoyment or celebration of God's favor. This is peace. So then what is a peacemaker? Okay, that's the next question that maybe you would ask. And I'll just give three observations about what a peacemaker is. In God's kingdom, peacemakers, uh, really tied to the first point here, understand their debt has been forgiven by God. Isaiah 53 uh, says this, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him, Jesus, punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to make peace, and so peacemakers understand their debt has been forgiven. When the conflict comes, we're not tapping into some like internal zen or, or relying on some mix or blend of essential oils to give us peace. We're recognizing that our debt has been so forgiven, we start as peace with, between us and God, we can start there and begin to live as people who know peace deep to their core, not some uh, fabrication of a worldly peace. We're resting in the cross of Jesus who's initiated this peace between God and man. The second thing is peacemakers are actively engaging in bringing about good and wholeness through Jesus. Romans 14:19 says this, "Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification." Man, if if I really understand the gold mine of forgiveness that I'm sitting upon, my whole goal in life is not self-focused then. It becomes this matter of making every effort to do all that I can, saying, I've been forgiven so much. The whole goal as a follower of Christ, as a peacemaker, is to say, how can I bring about that same peace, mutually edifying one another? Now, 
We also read in 2 Corinthians uh, a really important reality, chapter 5. It says this, For the love of Christ controls us. Before we get to the, the next phrase here, is the love of Christ controlling you? If so, continue on. If not, ask some questions. In the kingdom of Jesus, the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 18, here's this incredible invitation. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Man, that is worth a million pounds. Like, that that is the most incredible verse to me. We are invited in to be ministers of God's reconciliation in our world as ambassadors? What? Are you kidding me? Some of you are like, yeah, I don't want that invitation. Um, But a peacemaker is someone who takes on a completely new job title. They're an ambassador for Christ. What does an ambassador do? Whatever the king tells them to do. They just represent who's sending them. A peacemaker is someone who has a new mission, the ministry of reconciliation, pointing people to the one who reconciles us to God, Jesus, and bringing about wholeness and peace among those around us. The third one, peacemakers do not stir up conflict or retaliate, but respond with peace. Matthew 5, 38 through 40, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. I'll read this one slow. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. All right. We're all following to this point, except when he's like, turn your cheek. They're slapping one, you turn the other. This is just not how I was raised, and frankly, it's not how I'm raising my kids either. We want our kids to kind of fight back, right? Or like protect yourself, or stand up when things are wrong. This is what we do. This is how we live in our world today. But in a kingdom that's upside down, shortly after, Jesus preaches this sermon. He goes, Matthew chapter 5, a little bit more in depth and says, this is the new way of the kingdom, the people who make peace. What I am saying here is to just, I guess, be careful that if you are a follower of Christ, your highest and biggest and most important thing that you say to your kids, to your family, to your friends, how you dictate your life is really from the scriptures and not just a mantra that maybe you've been handed down in your life. Turn the other cheek. Matthew 22, 36, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This was called the Shema, and people quoted this from Old Testament. All these followers would have heard this, and then Jesus takes it one step further in the New Testament. He quoting quoting this part here. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. So what is a peacemaker? A peacemaker is an individual who knows their debt's been forgiven, and now they work for King Jesus as ambassadors with this ministry of reconciliation. They simply represent what the king is asking them to do. Okay, third question here. Who are the sons of God, right? Um, this is a, a small part of the, ver- the verse here, but this question might come as you're reading this. Okay, well, uh, what is peace? What's a peacemaker? And what are they going to call me the sons of God for? This could be a really simple answer, and I think the answer is kind of simple. But you might be able to see this, though, as a formula. Like, if I want to be a son of God, I'll just make peace and be a peaceful person, and I'll get son of God. And what I don't think is happening there is that. Um, The formula for salvation is very clear. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, not anything that we can do to earn or to receive this. And so what's happening here is uh, we're being called sons of God because we kind of look like the Father who is peace, Jesus who is peace. Maybe you've had this happen before where you're going somewhere and you're talking and you're like, oh man, you... You sound exactly like your dad. And some of you are like, yes, I have had that experience before, and it's not been a good, pleasant one because my dad was a horrible person. Or maybe, like me, your dad is just a touch above, like, tolerable, and so it's a really good thing when um, you enjoy someone saying that you look like your dad. No, my dad is a wonderful person, Um, probably teaching the kids in the kids' ministry this morning. But... You hear that, and it's good news, right? If I look like my dad, that's a, that's a really good thing. And so here, if we're being called sons of God, it's because we're looking like the one who sent us. Those who are part of God's upside-down kingdom make peace and look like the one who very much is peace. But they will be called out, right? They will be called sons of God. People might ask you, Why in the world would you show this person love? What's the point of reconciling that relationship? Cut them off. It's done. They moved away. You've moved on. There's no point. What are you going to do now? Why would you engage in this reconciliation? And you say, no, I'm reading the scriptures, and what he's saying here is to align yourself with King Jesus is to be a peacemaker. I'm his child and therefore I engage in this way of living. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you so you must also love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You'll be known by love. You'll be known by the way that you make peace. And if maybe people know you in a different way, I guess you would ask the question, do I really look like God? Are they calling me a son of God here? Or are they calling me a pretty angry person or a person who stirs up conflict? First Peter actually encourages us even deeper here. It says, uh, first, first Peter 3, look at this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that you have that is in you. You do it with gentleness 
Yet, I'm sorry, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You get an attack for being a good follower of Christ? You feeling uh, like, who are you? Like, you're going to be nice to this person? Why are you doing that? plan on it. It's coming. It's happening. This is the point, right? That when they stick up and they they point at you and say how ridiculous you are being so kind and a peacemaker here, you say, I'm telling you why. Here's the reason for the hope that I have in Christ. This is my purpose. One final part of this section here, who are the sons of God? Man, if you are a lady in the room, you could be like, here we go again, the scriptures talking about the dudes, not including the ladies. And I want to say, I don't get it um, because I'm not a woman. But what I do want to say is be careful, be careful not to run ahead and just say, and they also really mean the women as well. Um, Because what's being said here, specifically in this text, is intentional, okay? There is a cultural revolution that happens when Jesus says to a crowd, not only of his disciples, but followers, men and women who have just been healed, demons have been cast out, they're listening, and he says, you will be called sons of God. Why is that important? Well, if you're an ancient Near Eastern Jewish person, you understood that the uh, heir to the father's inheritance was only the male in the family. And so men of the household will then in turn provide for the women. But when Jesus says in particular, sons of God, and here and in other places as well, he's saying men, women in Christ, you are all heirs to the throne. You are heirs to the throne. This is not some family lineage thing. You are an heir to the throne, each one. So who are the sons of God? Followers of Christ, Christians living part of God's kingdom and actively engaging in making peace in such a way that people would call it out in our very lives. Okay, last thing here, how do I make peace? Well, we talked about the nature of peace in the Old Testament, this shalom. We talked about Irene in the New Testament, Jesus being the eternal sacrifice for our sins. We have peace with God So here are a couple of examples of ways this works out possibly. Pursuing reconciliation with one another. Are there people in your life who you've wronged? Are there people maybe in your life who have wronged you? We have a a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. Um, It's out of Saddleback Church in California. It's an incredible ministry based off of the principles in the Beatitudes. What we've been studying, those are the principles that they work through in the steps to to work um, toward uh, recovery. And so I want you to listen to steps eight and nine this morning out of Matthew 5, um, verses 5 and 7. Here's here's the steps uh, for Celebrate Recovery, um, eight and nine. Evaluate all my relationships. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. And then the verses, happy or blessed are the merciful, happy or blessed are the peacemakers. Possibly as you're saturated with God's forgiveness, you know There are relationships that you've either cut off or walled off or pushed away or "Mm, we just don't talk to them anymore, part of our family. 
Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And if we're following after the Lord and we're aligning with who he is, even our enemies, as we live in this way of peace, will be at peace with us. Now, there is one caveat here that we found kind of in the step and also in the scriptures that there are going to be people who are like, don't ever talk to me again. You cannot make amends with me. I don't want to see you or hear from you ever again. And some of you are like, I know it's her. Yeah. Um, You can't fix someone else's brokenness. You can only do your part. So Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Part of living as God's people in his kingdom is living this completely upside down, backwards way of life. And so here's another example of uh, another backwards way or an example of living out this peacemaking um, way of life. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you've won over your brother. Jesus is saying this and we're kind of like, wait just a minute. Like someone sins against me, I'm going to go and talk with them? Like they should come apologize to me. I'm the one who's hurt here. Why are you telling me to go and have a conversation with the one who is unkind to me? The simple answer well, because Jesus said so. Um, in Matthew 18, 15, he says, go initiate this conversation among those that know him. He also says this about this unity among the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Then verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So how do we make peace? When there's a disagreement, when there's something difficult, we walk and we speak in love. We bring things up. We don't just let them fester. Oftentimes it's easier to just avoid. And maybe you could even say people would think I'm a peaceful person, but on the inside, I am living a chaotic life because I have just, just stuffed and stuffed and stuffed. That's not peace. That's not biblical peace making either. That is avoiding. But speaking the truth in love, we confront with grace. Notice that this does not just say in the body of Christ at Fellowship Community Church, but it also includes the body of Christ at large. And so keeping this bond of peace because of the Spirit, man, if there's a church that's really hurt you, If there are people in other places in your life that are tied to other places, keep the bond of peace and unity through the Spirit by having some really honest conversations. And if that's a confusing statement to you, I'd love to talk with you. Because especially as a pastor, I would love nothing more than if 
there is a disagreement that we could have conversations and that we could be part of that reconciliation wherever God leads us. We live in a country who sees brokenness and divide all over. In the last month, in the last month here in the United States, there have been 45 mass shootings. It's an astounding statistic when you think about this conversation of peacemaking. A nation is screaming out in anger and hate and often confusion. And Jesus says, life in my kingdom, my children will be known as peacemakers. As the people who were sitting on the hill listening to Jesus speak, you would have heard this beatitude as a laser-focused bomb that goes off. Be a peacemaker, he says. These are my children. Well, shalom, yeah, we know that. We can give that to you. We, we have greetings and we talk and we say shalom to people. Peace be with you. And they leave and all those things. But the Jewish people would not offer peace to everyone. They would not give this shalom to those that were Samaritans, or if you were a pagan. In fact, many Jews would take very careful uh, measures to not give you shalom, and they would actually give you a curse as you walked by, like a muttering under your breath. And I don't know where this comes from, but there's evidence that it was actually sometimes like they would curse your mother too. Like, do mom jokes come from this biblical heritage of like people cursing each other? If you were a Samaritan, you would be cursed by Jewish people, not greeted with peace just because you were a Samaritan. Jesus gave the parable of the good Samaritan as an example of this love as he uh, comes in contact with two different cultural norms. Here's a, a quote just summarizing it that I love that talks about this. The fact that there was such dislike and hostility between Jews and Samaritans is what gives the use of the Samaritan in the parable of the Good Samaritan such force. The Samaritan is the one who is able to rise above the bigotry and prejudice of centuries and show mercy and compassion for the injured Jewish man after the Jews' own countrymen had passed him by. Keeping this long-running feud in mind, Jesus, as he goes and meets the woman at the well, was like completely countercultural. Why would he be doing this? It was surprising. It was shocking. It was the way of his kingdom. He would usher in a kingdom of peace and peacemakers. This is active and engaging. And just like Jesus did, in most cases, it doesn't first start big, right? Like, Miss America pageant, I think, is where they say, like, end world peace. You know, like, this is what I want for me and for my people and for the whole world is just peace. But who really goes and accomplishes world peace unless they first, as Jesus directs us here in the scriptures, all throughout to say, what am I doing in my own heart? Do I have peace with God? And then am I a minister of that reconciliation? Before we aim corporate and national no peace with God. Wrestle in your own heart. The eighth blessed beatitude is an invitation to bring hope to a lost world. 
the hope of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, so convinced of his grace that we speak of it often. The one who made peace between us and God freely offers you the chance to have forgiveness and peace and be part of that mission this morning. An invitation to pursue peace in the midst of conflicts, not shying away from difficult but speaking the truth in love. An invitation to engage in building bridges among cultures with peace. And so we ask and we lament and we join in when things are hard and we listen to stories because your experience is different than mine. As his ambassadors, we join in this ministry. God, thank you for making Jesus to come and be our peace. Lord, the Old Testament system of sacrificing to find our right standing with you accomplished in Christ in the New Testament. And so when he comes to speak about being a peacemaker, these people were one day going to understand. One day they would get it, that you were the ultimate initiator of peace. Lord, make us a blessing to our world that we would be people that make peace and be are part of peace, not just avoid. We thank you, God, for the opportunity that you bring to help us to know you. Um, you want to be known and you invite us into this journey with you. Uh, we thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen. May you carry his peace to the world this week. You are dismissed. <laughs>